Well, hello, CMYK community, and welcome to another CMYK podcast. My name is Matt, and today we got something a little different for you. Um, I was out of town this past weekend and asked someone who's a part of our core community, someone that I hope that you know, because he's incredible, uh, incredible artist, but more than that, just an incredible man, an incredible friend. His name is Tyler Murphy, um, and I just asked him to kind of share some thoughts. Uh, he's got a podcast called The Lonely Painter Podcast, which is a really interesting podcast. If you're ever looking for something new to listen to, he's doing some great stuff over on that channel. So you can uh, look for that if you want. But out of that, and just out of conversations that I've had with him, I thought this would be a great opportunity for him to kind of share uh, where he's at on some things, particularly with this series that we've been in. And he's going to talk and kind of recap a lot of things, so I don't want to take time doing that for him. But it's going to be a little different because you've got Tyler coming at you for a little bit. And then, uh, on top of that, uh, ask Tyler to interview someone in our community that is dealing with the specific thing that we're talking about. And I think it's a really, really great conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it. Before we jump into it, though, I want to mention something that is so important for us as a community that's coming up in a couple weeks. On September 29th, we're going to be having our second core community meeting. Uh, this is the last one that we'll be having for 2019, and it's my hope that you can make it. I really, really hope you can make it. I really, really hope you do everything that you can to be there. Uh, our last core community meeting in March was a huge success because we saw so many people there. And the reason that success is a success is not because of the fact that um, there's just people there, but because our whole vision and goal with this thing is to have more voices at the table to have more people bringing their story, their insight, their thoughts, beliefs, hopes, dreams, frustrations to the table. This is the model of a church and moving forward in a more beautiful way together that we are choosing to pursue together. And the only way that works is when we truly have more voices at the table. And so those of you that came in March, thank you uh, for being a part of that. If you didn't make it or are new or interested in what this thing called CMYK is, man, do everything you can. It's September 20th. 29th. That's a Sunday. It's a Sunday afternoon at Yellowstone Valley Brewing, which is the garage pub. And so uh, head to our website, cmykchurch.com. You can find out all the details you need to know about that. Um, it's obviously a free event. And for you to show up it does not mean you're signing on the dotted line anywhere. Um, you can just come and dip your toe in the water with us and maybe see if this is something that you might want to get more and more plugged in with or not. Um, but we hope that you're there. And to kind of sweeten the pot a little bit, we'll buy you the first drink, whether it's one of the beers or root beer on tap there at YVB. So do everything you can to get there. All right, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, my good friend and hopefully yours, Tyler Murphy. Hey, this is Tyler Murphy, and you're listening to the CMYK Podcast. And uh, this last Sunday, I filled in for Matt. He asked if I would uh, sub for him as he had to be out of town. And um, so that was an interesting experience. He asked if I'd just share some thoughts on the current series that we're in. We we had trouble uh, with some of the recording technology, so we're putting this little talk podcast thing out now after the fact. I, on Sunday, interviewed uh, Seth Hirschkorn a little bit, and so I actually had him over to my house last night, and we uh, recorded the interview again. So we've now we've done the kind of this interview, this talk between Seth and I three times. Each time we kind of 
find that we talk, uh, that, that we kind of find new places that the conversation goes. The first morning, I felt a little nervous I, to, uh, to be in front of the CMYK community. But anyways, here in a second, we'll cut to my interview with Seth that we recorded last night. But I thought I'd, uh, just like how on Sunday for both services I shared a little bit at the beginning, I thought I'd do that here at the beginning of this podcast. So we're in this series called Whole. We're looking at the four Gospels and Scripture as a whole rather than as single stories. And so Matt uh, started last week with the Gospel of Matthew. Let's let's uh, kind of recap a little bit of what Matt shared the other weekend. Matthew is written to a group of Jews who are uh, up in Antioch, and they, most scholars think that the Gospel of Matthew was written somewhere around 80 or 90 A.D. So that's you know 40, maybe yeah, 40 or 50 years or so after Jesus's death. And in 70 AD, the temple of Jerusalem was completely destroyed by the Romans. There was absolutely nothing left of it. The temple was this uh, place of security and uh, this religious core to the Jewish people. It had stood for 800, 900 years. Let's see, it was, I think they, they think that it was built originally uh, by King Solomon back around 800 BC. It had been uh, destroyed, uh, or at least partially destroyed, a couple different times, once by the Babylonians, and then, and then by kind of in the aftermath of Alexander the Great, it suffered um, quite a bit of destruction, but... Okay, there's a cat in here. One second. Thomas, I'm trying to record something here. My roommate's cat is a pretty loud meow. Anyways, sorry. So, the this temple that is this uh, place of, uh, of identity and, and, uh, and gives... Uh, security um, or a sense of security to the Jewish people has been completely destroyed. Matt gave me this this book that was kind of covering some of the historical context of the temple. I'm sorry, i got to pause this. i got to go let this cat downstairs. Okay, I'm back. Sorry. Um, so in this book that Matt gave me, it goes over some of the historical context behind uh, the temple. And uh, one of the things that it mentioned was how there's a high priest that every morning uh, before the sun would rise would sacrifice an animal and spill its blood out upon the altar, believing that that's what was required in order for God to let the sun rise uh, the next morning. And so this Gospel of Matthew is written to this group of people who have just gone through this, really this huge existential crisis as a community. This pillar, this place of safety and security and identity has been ripped out of their lives. And so we are kind of looking at this gospel and and trying to discern how, how was it that 
that these Messianic Jews in particular, how was it that they reacted to this loss in their lives? How did they cope with change? So that's the question kind of that we're, that we're looking at. And my answer to that question of how do we face change, at least for myself, kind of the, the first thing that came to mind is that typically, especially when we're talking about the kinds of changes that are these huge existential changes, a loss in faith, a loss of a relationship, or a huge change in a relationship, a loss of um, health in some way, a change in a major change in your health or finances or work or uh, whatever it might be, these different areas of our lives. When I personally have had to face change, I would say that I face it poorly. But then as I kind of throw that around a little bit, I would say more accurately the word that I would want to use is that I face it imperfectly that I always will look back and and uh, uh, think, you know, I could have done that a little differently. And really this idea of, of imperfection and that we learn how to accept our imperfection, that to me is really, I think, one of the core ideas within Christianity. It's this idea of grace, that we're accepted, that we actually, the way Tillich, Paul Tillich talks about it is that we accept that we are accepted despite the fact that we're unacceptable. And so I want to step away from the Gospel of Matthew for a little bit um, because I'm more familiar with Paul and, and so I want to talk about Paul and his idea of Christ crucified. So I remember maybe eight or nine years ago, I was enrolled at Rocky Mountain College, and I took this class with uh, this professor named Jay Castle. It was a biblical studies class on Paul. And in this class, there were some things that I learned that kind of concerned me or, or kind of started to rock the, the biblical foundation that, I had been given the biblical, I should say, maybe understanding that I'd been given growing up. One of the things that, that I learned that was really concerning to me was just this idea that the Gospels weren't written until quite a long time after Jesus' death, maybe 70 to 90 to 100 AD. And that if we want to perhaps read the uh, the text that is closest to the life of Jesus, then we, then we have to go to this guy named Paul. But then, you know, you realize that well, actually, Paul wasn't part of that original twelve that was with Jesus. He met, or he, well, he was confronted by a voice on the road to Damascus while he was on his way to uh, persecute. Uh, this growing population of, of people who were starting to follow Jesus, he hears this voice that says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then it's like another 10 years before he really starts into his ministry. He goes off uh, for 10 years, and I'm not exactly sure what where he goes or, or, or what he's 
doing in that 10 years. I think that there's a lot of speculation on that, but I don't know that anybody is certain of exactly what he did in that time. But 10 years after his Road to Damascus experience, then he starts going out to these different communities, uh, you know, Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus, and he goes beyond Jerusalem into these communities that have completely different belief structures than him. But the point I want to make here is that he's going to these communities that they too have their own temples and their own rituals and essentially their own ways in which they too do certain things uh, believing that that's what's required of them in order for the sun to come up in their lives. And I think that in this way, Christianity is not really a religion, but it's more of a critique of that way of thinking. If that is, if, if we want to talk about religion as this set of rituals that we perform, believing that it is what is required of us in order for us to be in right relation with God, I think that Christianity uh, and Jesus and the idea of Christ crucified comes in and wipes away that way of understanding how we need to act in the world. So in that way, then, the goal isn't perfection. The goal is, I would say, that we don't fall back into rituals that sacrifice innocent people or animals or that, that, we're, that we're on guard against that way of thinking and acting in the world. So Paul goes to these communi- communities and he says, I came to you preaching only Christ crucified. He's going to these communities that are doing their own rituals. He's basically coming in and saying, look, God came down. He became fully man and he died on a cross. He was crucified. So if our lives are still wrought with anxiety and fear and uncertainty and doubt, and God has already come and been essentially the ultimate sacrifice, then guys, what else are we going to do? What, like, what sacrifice can we do that tops that? And so in some ways, it's, it's almost like, okay, go ahead, keep on, keep on doing your, your rituals if you want, but can we all recognize that it doesn't do anything? That the sun is going to come up whether we sacrifice this animal or not. The, the rain is, the earth is going to do what it's going to do. These natural, these natural um, disasters that befall us are not correlated to our works, our rituals. And I, I think that actually we see that message again and again and again throughout the Bible. I think that you see it in the Tower of Babel. In that Tower of Babel story, it's this idea that if we can work our way up to God and become on the same level with God, then we'll be whole and complete. We'll, that that's what we're striving for, essentially, is, is this wholeness, completeness, uh, perfection, satisfaction. But then 
what we find in the story of Christ is that God actually comes down and meets us in our imperfection. And so there's, there's no, there's no longer this need for asceticism, for doing certain religious works to try to get on that same level with God. Maybe I'll, I'll end with this. There was a theologian, uh, 20th century theologian named Paul Tillich, and this guy named Houston Smith, who ended up writing this book actually on, on the world's religions. I found these old YouTube videos of Houston Smith when he was a really young man. Um, I think maybe even before he wrote what ended up becoming his really well-known book on the world's religions. But Houston Smith was going around America and he was interviewing 12 of the greatest minds at that time, according to, I guess, to him. And he's asking these different questions and he goes to Paul Tillich and he asks him, uh, Dr. Tillich, why is it that we fall so short of human fulfillment? And Tillich answers, he says, we fall away from what we could be, namely united in love through justice and truth, because we want to draw the whole world into ourselves. And he says, and this is the old doctrine of the paradise lost story, that you shall be like God. He says, that's the temptation. This idea of doing certain things, drawing the world into ourselves through the accumulation of certainty and knowledge and enlightenment, just in the same way that that Eve, you know, uh, was tempted to eat the apple, the knowledge of good and evil, to gain enlightenment, to be on the same level as God, that that's the temptation that we face. The accumulation of commodities, cars, houses, wealth, knowledge, relationships, this desire for more and more and more as we try to fill the lack within us, that it's so easy to fall back into that temptation of thinking, if only this little part of my life was different, if only I had that thing right there, then I would be satisfied. I think that there is something in powerful when we are able to say to that temptation, I know I'm imperfect, and, and I know the, these things over here are the, that I'm tempted by are shiny and really attractive, but I'm good where I'm at. And maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes we do pursue those shiny new things, but I think it's also important that we learn how to say at times, let there be lack. Let there be lack of certainty and knowledge and that these people over here are maybe talking bad about me behind my back and that um, I've let so-and-so down and there's really no reconciling this relationship. If we can say at times, let there be lack, I, I think that's, I think that's uh, important. And I just also want to emphasize that I believe that, the, that Christianity is it's a critique of religious rituals that guarantee wholeness, completeness, satisfaction, oneness with God. And 
I've rambled on for way longer than I should have. Here's Seth and I from last night. Thanks for listening. Okay, so this is Tyler Murphy, and I'm here with Seth Hirschkorn. Hey. And uh, we go to this CMYK <laughs> thing, <laughs> church, yeah, community. And, uh, Depends on what you're asking. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Seth and I uh, both shared a little bit last Sunday, but uh, the recording wasn't working. So we're going to uh, just record a little, little conversation here, a little interview. And... Um, I might go back and, and put a little bit at the beginning of this mm. that you will have already listened to if I have done that. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so let's. Uh, We're also waiting on a pizza, aren't we? We're to deposit. <laughs> we won't tell them. <laughs> I do a lot of editing. When I, when I <laughs> um, enjoying a little little white noise here. Cheers. Welcome, welcome to the house. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a nice place. It's really cozy. I like the I like the dead animals on the wall. Thanks. I'm gonna turn. I like to when I. You like to physically face me? Uh, yeah, I just like man. I'll just turn my head. I'm so I comfy right so. now. That's perfect. <laughs> um, except now I'm too far away. This is fun. I'm gonna get this figured out. I think you should leave all of this in there. Okay. I might. <laughs> I, I, the more and more I've done these podcast things, I. The less and less I edit. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the <laughs> beauty of, that's the beauty of, like, Joe Rogan, is that that's just, they'll just do three hours straight. No, yeah. no cutting, no. Like, someone goes to the bathroom, they just roll with it. What are your favorite podcasts, Joe Rogan? I just like, I think he's the best interviewer. I think he's, yeah, he's just, yeah, I like him. Let's post him too. I got, I recently got back into um, TED Radio Hour. So oh yeah! Pick an idea and then like do like four segments on it. With guy, yep, that guy. <laughs> What's I can't remember. It's been a while. Yeah, I recently got back into it. That one's good. Um, I'm really tempted to dive into all of this freaking true crime stuff because there's so many. Like or like or like the scary story ones, like last podcast on the left or whatever they're called. Just it just feels like every person in my life is listening to them. Yeah, mostly the women, but yeah. which I don't get. Like I don't know a lot of guys listen to them, but all the women are like they love it. I don't, know. I don't do scary hmm. though. We'll have to when we're not recording. Maybe uh, dive into. Uh, I have some theories on, that. <laughs> on why women listen to. Them. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't know because I feel like I have all these friends that listen to podcasts and they're all like. I, I hear about all these scary true crime ones, and I just don't know how to... I've only done a couple ever. What was the one? Serial. Uh, oh, yeah. I did Serial, season one, and season three was really good, too. And then what was the one in that the guy did in Georgia? Yeah, S-Town. I liked that one. The one that... The precursor to S-Town. Oh. And maybe it wasn't even a precursor. There was one where this guy followed this murder in Georgia of this girl and started finding... Clues and leads and oh, what was it? Oh my goodness, I can't remember. But like while he was doing the podcast, the case got solved or something. I can't. Oh, I cannot remember now. That one was amazing. Was it? It wasn't S Town because S Town was with the guy. Yeah, the the, the, weed, the, the really eccentric, really eccentric. Guy. I was going to say weird, but that didn't. 
Well, I was mean. The weird guy, but the right word's eccentric. No, I studied that one for a while, and I, I don't know. I'm really picky with my podcast. I've recently tried, um, what's Dak Shepard's Armchair Experts? Oh, yeah. That one's interesting. Uh, roommate Francesca, she really likes that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 that one's recommended all the time. Also by a lot of women, usually. So I don't oh, know really? Something really? There. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh, what else? That's I don't know. Uh, I've really enjoyed Conan's oh, podcast. I've never listened to it. Yeah. I bet it's amazing because it's Conan. Yeah. Anyways, maybe we... pizza smells so good. I'm going to go check it real quick. Okay. <laughs> and then we'll get into... Uh, so, we're, we've been uh, at CMYK last week. Matt uh, brought up the question of how do we face change, and he's looking at this through the context of the story of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And so he kind of uh, outlined a handful of different ways that the... Oh, you need a... Uh, to the left of the oven. Perfect. Oh, my God. Okay, here, I'm going to pause it. This is so good. I think the whole thing should make the cut. Matt's just going to be like, what the heck am I listening to, you guys? Okay, well... Okay, we'll let that cool down for a second, then I'll, I'll cut it here in a sec. And then we can just record us eating. <laughs> so, uh, I guess in the in- intro part, I will have kind of gone over some of this, but it's yeah. like uh, um, that, uh, that the temples within the temple within the lives of the audience to whom the Gospel of Matthew is written has been destroyed, this place of security for eight or nine hundred years is gone, and now they're they're left to pick up the pieces or not try to pick up the pieces or... or, um, And so, I guess for us, it's... it's, uh, Is there... Something that we can learn from this gospel, uh, and and from the way I guess that these people faced change. Right. Is there any anything that we can grab from that? Matt was thinking of you a little bit as he was outlining some of the different areas of life in which our temples, our pillars, are our places that have been our security different realms of our lives like relationships and our belief system, our financial stability. Sometimes that gets rocked. And I don't know why he thought of you. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what the heck, Matt? Um, yeah, that's, that's a... It, um, maybe, first of all, can I, can I ask, how, how do you just feel... Now that a couple days have passed, how do, how do you feel about how things went on Sunday? And then maybe let's try to get back into back into this. Are we just going to keep us a part of it? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I feel like we did two totally different runs, you know. And now we're going for a third. Now we're going for a third. And I feel like this one's probably going to be the most... Cons- this one's probably going to be the best because it's so much more comfortable already for both of us. Yeah. Because... 
you know, we the interesting thing to me was we've talked before, we've done like interviews or conversations, but never in front of a crowd. Mm-hmm. And I think that threw us both off a little bit in regards to each other. Yeah. Um, I feel good about it. You know, I, I really liked everything we had to say at the evening. I really liked how the evening flowed. Yeah. I did. I thought I thought you were more concise with your thoughts, which made it, it, your – the way you made your thoughts more concise made a ton of sense. It made a ton of sense. Um, and then, you know, I'm glad I could help bring some clarity to that because that – I really liked what you had to say in the evening. Um, that for you, in the midst of change, you don't you don't need temple or ritual, or maybe maybe you have a new one. I can't remember the words we use, but you don't have temple or ritual. You have this idea of Christ crucified, and for you, that is enough to conquer the chaos of change. So I really liked that. Can I um, can I add to that a little bit? Yeah, please do. I would just say. I just I don't want to fall back into rituals thinking that oh this is the answer yeah this is the if I just do X Y and Z then I'll then I'll be like whole and complete in the way that I fantasize that like some people out there are yeah well and I I think that one of the things I'm we should I feel like we should have brought it back around to was that for you the idea of Christ crucified is presence. Like, you just have to exist because Christ crucified is enough. That's how I felt. Mm. You described it in the evening, and I really liked it. Okay. Now, for you, that idea from Paul was enough that no matter what's going on in change, you can just you can just exist in it. You don't have to go back to ritual. You don't have to, like, double down or go back because you have Christ crucified. I feel like you, I feel like you did such a good job explaining it on Sunday night. Yeah, I guess I feel like it, it blows apart the need for superstitious mm-hmm. acts. Yeah, that that are some way of assuring that we're right in right relation with God. Yeah, and that's the whole point of the temple is these temples assure us that we're okay with God. Yeah. and then the question happens is what happens when the temple gets yeah leveled. So. I guess for me, also, what is tough about even talking about this is that I, I don't feel like I have a clear answer of what to do. I just, it's like, no, there's just something that's been taken away. I, I don't know how to, I don't even want to say, here's what you should do moving forward. For you or for anyone else? Yeah, I don't want to ascribe, like, some form of uh, of a new ritual that assures that they're in that, yeah. they're doing, that they're doing yeah. it right. You don't want to replace old rituals with new ones. Yeah. You just want... Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But then that makes it hard to have much to say about it. And <laughs> it like, well, I, I think that's kind of what Matt's getting at with the whole be present idea is that there isn't a ritual. There isn't something new. They're simply existing in the change and... You know, there's something here, and you, you can handle this. So, which none, neither one of those two things feel ritualistic to me. They feel um, maybe I don't know if assurance is the right word, but they feel like um, how do they feel? They don't. Yeah, they don't feel like ritual. They just feel like, and they also don't feel like a um, easy remedy to change. It's just that. You know, be here in this and see what happens because you're in it. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That is yours. Uh, the envelope? Yeah. Um, my dad uh, had him. He was a hunt outfitter for a lot of years. Gotcha. Okay. Um, okay, so let now, now let's... <laughs> yeah, if you don't mind, maybe let's um, let's let's, uh, let's talk about some of the changes that have happened in your life. Yeah, um, you know, Matt last week gave um, essentially his list of what changes are you facing. So he brought up belief, he brought up health, um, relationship, and when he talked about health, he said like either you lose your health or someone close to loses their health. They talk about relationship, they talk about financial stability, um, you know, like maybe the changing of a job or just, you know, stuff, something like that. And I think he also talked about emotional permanence was the word he used. Like, I, I, I feel like something's always going to stay this way or stay the same. And he talked about political belief. And there might be one more in there that I'm missing. But those were some of the lists. Yeah. And so for me, um, starting about three years ago, I was working. Um, I was working for a large evangelical church here in Billings. Um, I don't know why I'm so vague about it. Still, I worked at Harvest. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not gonna like. Yeah, I'm not gonna just go for talk it. crap. It's like, it's like, I, I, yeah, so I was working for Harvest Church, and uh, I I realized there was some like in my last year working there just some difficulty with my belief system and what I was trying to figure out and so <laughs> so funny so I go to Vern the lead pastor of Harvest Church um do you have in, a cell phone number in April can, yeah we can text him get sometimes yeah yeah we we can um I so I uh so I sit him down in April of 2016 and I'm planning on just resigning from my job, but sticking around till July. Just like, hey, you're going to see this one through, you know. Um, so I sit him down, and the first thing he asked me is, like, are you going to go start a church? And I was like, no, man, there's no, that's not going to happen. So I tell him, um, I'm trying to describe where I'm at with my belief system, and these words come to me. The words are, Vern, I'm not sure if... Um, I'm uh, a pastor because I'm a Christian or a Christian because I'm a pastor. And he's kind of said, okay. And I said, I need to go figure that out. So I ended up departing from Harvest, finding out that the latter was true, Um, which was a really hard pill to swallow, that so much of my Christianity was built on my job rather than me being a pastor because of my belief system. So shortly thereafter... um, my belief system starts to just go away. It starts to change. Um, uh, and then, you know, about a year later, still kicking stuff around. And about, about probably 15 months after that, so after I left Harvest, July 2016, in October of 2017, uh, Michaela, Michaela's dad, um, she was my wife, Michaela's dad gets diagnosed with pretty like stage four terminal cancer um they tell him that you know you've got a five percent chance to make it two years which is kind of crazy because that's next month that 
he's actually mm. made it that long. It's pretty impressive. Um, but he gets diagnosed, and that kind of sets Michaela and I down this weird path because, um, you know, Matt talked about health being one of those things too, so it's belief and health. And so Ron gets sick, and I didn't realize that I had, until recently, I didn't realize I had all this trauma in my life because I grew up in a household that my parents were in and out of the hospital really sick, some just some stuff going on with them, both with their health and with, I think, some addiction stuff. And so I spent all these endless hours as a teenager in the hospital and taking care of other people all the time. So Michaela's dad gets sick, and uh, this trauma stirs up in me, the, the, this like fear or concern or worry that I have to take care of another person after I spent so many years doing it. And what I ended up doing is starting to push Michaela and her family away from me. Finding excuses and ways not to come around, finding reasons not to do family events, um, begrudgingly doing family events. And Michaela has said before that she acknowledged it and she saw it. And I've since gone back and apologized, you know, in the last, you know, handful of months. But from October 2017 to October 2018, we're having this ongoing discussion about our relationship status. And her dad's health was kind of this huge you know, domino pulled out in our relationship. So then in November of 2018, 13 months after his diagnosis, um, we decided to split up and get a divorce. And we're actually not divorced yet, just for certain reasons we have, but we are, you know, we're split up. And so, you know, it feels like it just like things are toppling quickly. It's my belief system goes away and then Michaela's dad gets sick and that leads into us ending our marriage of, you know, almost 10 years at the time, together since we were, like, 16. Yeah. And then together That's until we were hard. 29. Yeah, it was a lot of life done together. And so so that then, interestingly, leads to, you know, some this financial stability thing where I go from being a dual-income, no-kids guy where I can do whatever I want all the time, and so can she, to being a single-income, you know, teacher who's broke ass, you know, yeah, like, yeah. so going back to working second jobs, not because I want fun money, but because I have to pay my bills, and, uh, and, you know, those kind of things just all happen in sequence, boom, 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 over the course of, you know, two, two and a half years, two, yeah, since I leave Harvard, so three years now, yeah. all these things kind of happen, just one after the other, these, these, these dominoes are falling, and, um, It'd be interesting to know what it would be like to face these kind of changes if it was one thing at a time, but it was like tidal wave after tidal wave that every time I like, every time I barely got the chance to like come up from the riptide, it, it just pulled me back down or another wave crashed on me or mm. that's just kind of how it felt. So that was about, it's, it's been about three years of just pretty constant dramatic change yeah. in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask, how, how was it? You, you mentioned that you've kind of come to realize that uh, that you had some trauma from your past. I'm just curious yeah. how you came to realize that. It was uh, this last spring. My friend Tim Weidlick was in town, um, and we sat and had... I got to text him back. He texted me. <laughs> yeah, did he? Oh, yeah, do that. He texted me, too. He's in town today. Today through Saturday. You want another beer? Um, yeah, I do. You want me to keep talking about yes, this? Yes, yeah. Sorry. So I... Uh, so I'm sitting with Tim at Rock Creek Coffee, and, uh, you know, we're just talking. And so he works at the VA hospital in Helena. Yeah. He's a chaplain. Um, but what he does with his job is, like, tries to get to the heart of 
some of just people's, I guess, trauma, you will, and try and help them, lead them towards some form of spiritual path. I think that's a gross injustice of what he actually does, but that's all I can think of to explain it right now. Okay. So he's doing that with me. You know, he's, I, don't, I don't think he's trying to, like, put on a clinic. He's just, like, chatting with me about this stuff, and he's talking to me. We're talking about Ron and talking about how I feel like I pushed Michaela away, and he just kept picking and picking and picking. And I just said, you know, I think it's because, like, my family was sick, and I was sick of taking care of people. And we both kind of sat there in the moment, like, wow, we may have just found the source of hmm. this trauma, this, this childhood trauma, if you will, that was never dealt with. Because I didn't know I had it. And then it, unfortunately, reared its ugly head in my marriage. Yeah. So, yeah. So those things, yeah. So just down the line over three years, it was all those things. And, you know, I I know that I know that there's plenty of change in a lot of people's lives. But, you know, this last three years has been like all the major temples I used to have yeah. are now all destroyed. Yeah. Much like the the Jews of, you know, ninety AD. Yeah. Or sorry, when was it destroyed? Seventy AD. Right. That's just how it feels. Like all the major things that I once found sacred, the spaces that I found safe with, you know, to use the word ritual, are now gone. And I it's like, well what do you do? Yeah. You know when I was, you know, meditating on this question, the thought that came to mind that I the first thought that stuck with me for a while was just that the answer to that for me is that I face change poorly. Mm-hmm. But then I think of that, and that, but then that calls into question, like, what's good, what's bad? <laughs> so then I would just fall back on imperfectly. Yeah. I face change imperfectly in the sense that no matter, no matter how well I deal with something, I will always kind of look back and go, I did that, you know, even if I did it pretty well, I would probably still have done something slightly different. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what'd you say? You, well, and let's let's run with that. Like you said this weekend, um, you said that Kierkegaard said, yeah, life is lived forwards and understood backwards. Lived forwards and understood backwards. Like, right. that. it's that hindsight thing Yeah. that you always look back and go, ah, I wish I would have done that differently. Yeah. And... Uh, in you know in Matthew we were reading Matthew the other night in here and after not too long after or maybe it's even part of the Sermon on the Mount Jesus says like uh, so just be perfect like I'm perfect and just be perfect like God yeah be perfect as your heavenly Father's perfect yeah and so I've been thinking like reading Chesterton he's he's arguing in this part that I'm just reading about how. Um, Sometimes God is winking in the Bible and uh, making jokes. Uh-huh. And the problem with texts, a text is that we don't know who, exactly who... Like, if you just were to listen to it, for instance, if you were to just listen to a tra- or read a transcript <coughs> of what I said on Sunday, uh-huh. and when I said okay, so we're talking about change and we're going to bring up a guy who hasn't faced any change in the last five years. Right. <laughs> that only, that's a joke only in the sense of like, that if the reader in the room in CMYK yeah. community know that that's not true. Or if the reader <laughs> knows us. Right. That's the only other way. So that's where I, 
like I start to read Jesus sometimes and start to wonder, is he winking here? Like it's a great thought. Is he is he joking a little bit when he because to me Christianity is about and and Christ crucified is about not becoming perfect, but being okay in our imperfection. Yeah, and I think I think that ties so deeply to what Matt was saying. That like and that to me, I feel like you are in your own language and way talking about this idea of being present. Because I don't think when I think about the change that not only I experience with my friends and people I love and care about, or even the people I don't know that well experience change, I feel like there's this cultural draw to we have to figure it out. We have to make it better. We have to plow through it and be better on the other side. And there's this really subtle beauty in the fact of, no, just be in it. You don't have to be anything or not be anything. You just have to be in it. Uh And after you're in it... Because that's all you can do. It's literally all you can do. It's like this... Yeah, exactly. It's We don't have a choice otherwise. Well, or, I mean, you can kill yourself. And we have some other choices. Like Matt said, you can go back. Or you can give up. You know, pull a Judas and give up and say, F this, I'm out. Or just, you know, approach it from a, like a nihilist standpoint. Like, nothing matters. Give up. You can double down. You can go back and try and make things better than what they were. Or a more intense version of what they were. Um, Matt also said you can what sit and wait and just like wait for the the next best thing to hop on yeah or yeah still the sidelines like sit out maybe just check out or you can be present which being present means you know either um, there's something here or you can handle this you know yeah because neither one of those things either are telling you to be better and fix it or you know they're just saying just exist and see what happens exist in it and see that so rather than like sit on the sideline and see what happens it's almost like you can at least be in the game uh-huh. and see what happens yeah you know and that seems to be I, I don't know I, I feel like so much of what you have said about this idea of Christ crucified is you being in it and just seeing like there's something here mm-hmm. you know let's there's something here you can handle this yeah. because Christ crucified for you. You know, the the only thing, ca- caveat <coughs> like I want to insist on the idea that it's it's not about uh, it's not about performing certain rituals in order to get in right relationship with God. Right? Do you think that's and, the beauty of being present? Though there is no ritual, or do you feel like well, I feel like you, you the could, language. Well, is I feel like you could be present while you're doing the ritual that gotcha. you gets you back. Yeah. So it's like in all of those other things, I could say, well, you're still like you're still present. Yeah. Like you're still present as you're sitting on the sidelines. You're still present as you're going back. Yeah. Like you're still present as you're giving up. Giving up. Yeah. So, I I'm just I'm just sensitive to. Anytime I, I sense that there is something that these people are trying to sell me is the way to wholeness and completeness and full satisfaction. Yeah. That in some way we become oh. perfect like God is perfect. Yeah. And that completely doesn't, that just doesn't work. Because that's the ritual, that's the, Yeah. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that's... Yeah, I get that. Okay. 
Um, I really want pizza. Do you want to push pause? <laughs> yeah, let's pause for a second. <laughs> so we're back. Now we're back. Yeah. Yeah. We're back. Full of full of pizza. Pizza and, and beer. beer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pizza and beer. Uh, and uh Okay, so but before we uh stop there and ate two two Jack's pizzas. Two full pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I like so Seth's way of, of eating his half of the pizza was we just cut it in half and before I had the chance to cut it into smaller pieces he just took the whole half <laughs> it's all going down so. <laughs> oh. and uh, but before we took that little break we were talking about these these ways of breaking down be present yeah. Into you can handle this and that there's something here. Yeah. Now on Sunday you mentioned how you really resonate with there's something here. Right. And you can handle this is uh, doesn't resonate with you as much. So will you yeah, will you cover that? Yeah. Let's let's dive into that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I think in the midst of my change and all this life change going on, the reason that there's something here resonates is I started the last couple of years just reading some really dark stuff, I guess. Um, stories of people going through um, travesties, story of people being like tortured, stories of people doing the torturing, you know, like stuff like the Gulag Archipelago. Archip- how do you say Arch- Arch- Archipelago? Okay, Archipelago? I don't know. Yeah. Be you're talking, I think. Uh, just about, you know, life in communist Russia um, and then other stuff like the Nuremberg trials about you know Nazi officers giving orders to kill people and then saying or like you know people killing other people and saying oh it was my officers who told me to and I, I didn't want to die and so just some really dark stuff and I, I ended up landing on a book called um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl and he wrote this um this book after he was in a Nazi internment camp. Um, he was a Jewish psychologist and spent time in the internment camp, and then he came out and developed this thing called logotherapy, just a way of helping people find and create meaning in their lives. He did this because while he was in the internment camp, he realized that, um, you know, he, he basically said and shared the idea that you know, of all the things that can be taken from a man, the one thing that can't be taken is um, their ability to choose their own attitude in any given set of circumstances. And then he finished it saying to choose one's own way. And so for me, there was something hopeful in that, I guess you could say, that to be present in the midst of my life change and my temples crumbling and my life taking an immense turn in three years, I had this belief and hope and idea that there was still something to be learned in the midst of it. That at the end of all of it, you know, kind of like you said, lived forward, understood backward. Like at the end of all of it, I would be better for it. Uh And that, for me, made more sense than going back, giving up. You know, going back and doubling down, giving up, or just sitting and waiting. Like for me to be in it means that Right now, I can acknowledge that there is something on the horizon 
for me someday to make me a better man or to arrive there and look back at it all and know that that's how I got there. I don't think I'm there yet. I think maybe steps have been taken to get there by being present, but I really think that because of Viktor Frankl and just some of that dark stuff that there is meaning in this change and, and my temple's being destroyed. And that's what helps you to, in the moment, remember that you can handle this. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> I hate that phrase so much. It was really, it was really beneficial. Because well, it, sounds like, it sounds like that's what it should be, right? Well, that's what's funny is that... See, so for Matt, this was a phrase that has meant so much to him. Yeah. And, and for me, be present, I like... I, I should, I'm kind of ambivalent. I don't. I don't know how I feel about the words "be present." Yeah, they don't ring. They don't have like this connection to my lived experience that yeah. makes them super meaningful. Um, but for me, the first half does. The, the, there's something. But there's something here. The second half, I think. I it's funny. We all have these baloney. I know. The second half, everybody doesn't let feel there, like it. Let there be lack is the thing that, that like... I like that, though. That, I, that I like that. that like, <laughs> I can be okay with, like, not having all my shit together. Right. I like that. The, the thing for me, though, you can handle this, is in the during the dark days, like, when the change is the most tumultuous, those mm. days where the emotions are unbearable, I don't feel like I can. And someone asked this on Sunday, you know, even when I get through it, there's this, this like, almost like this, this, this logical, if you will, not even logical, just this disconnect between I just made it through that dark stretch and I'm here. But the minute the next one hits, I don't think back on the end of the last one and think I can make it. You know, one of the things I said on Sunday, just to be very candid, and this is, you know, hard to admit, but... I had a particularly hard weekend two weekends ago and texted Jake Demeray, part of the CMYK church community, and, you know, just asked the words. It was late at night, and thank God he responds. I mean, I just, you know, the situation's weird, but I asked him, like, do you ever feel like just eating a bullet, you know? And he responded back with, yeah, but that's not what we're going to do, <laughs> you know, or something along those lines. And thank God he is able, thank God he texts late, you know, thanks, Jake, but, uh, you know, I don't ever feel like I can handle it. Yeah. Even when it's done and gone, I don't feel that way because the minute the next storm, dark moment, whatever hits, I don't reflect back on making it through the last one. And so the, the phrase, you can handle this, does not resonate in the midst of this presence for me. Sure. You know what I kind of like in the midst of things sucking is to just go like, this sucks. Just a bonus? Yeah. What <laughs> I've done? Somehow, somehow, I, like, somehow laugh at it. Hopefully yeah, try. I yeah. yeah. I just, I feel like I've done, I feel like it, for me, when I do that, I tip so easily into the scale. Like, the, the scales tip into me just feeling sorry for myself. Yeah. And I hate that. I just hate feeling sorry. I think it's one thing to acknowledge your emotions, but it's another thing just to, like, be fucking Eeyore. <laughs> You know, like I just can't, I can't do that. I can't keep doing that, you know? Yeah. But somehow, somehow finding the humor in it, though. Oh, I try. Yeah. It's pretty comical at times. 
but that is the thing. I think you're totally right, though, about when we are in despair. It's like so much, so much, we forget so much. Yeah. And we're just stuck in this, in just horrible feelings. Yeah. It makes the dark darker, but on the flip side, when you're out of it, it makes the bright brighter almost. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't, I just wish I could find a way to bridge those two and remember the feelings and emotions. Yeah. And maybe that's part of being present, maybe, that, like, in the dark stuff, I have to be there, and in the not-dark stuff, I have to be there. I just wish there was a way to bridge that gap so that I could lean into, you can handle this. And I'm sure some people listening are like, well, no, duh, you can handle it. You've made it this far. Uh It just doesn't resonate with me. Uh And I hope it does for them. I hope they get a taste of that. So So that's where I'm at. (laughs) My temples are destroyed, and uh, here I am. mess. Yeah, here I am. Just, uh, There's something here. Perfect, so. beautiful mess. Yeah, in my living room, <laughs> drinking beers and eating pizza with me. Yeah, I'll I'll add this one last thing on. We're at, okay. The the last thing I would add on about this be present thing is that I have not been able to do this alone. That I don't want to come across as the lone survivor or you know the maverick can i can i ask is that also partially why like you can handle this it's kind of like you can handle this but i'm but i can handle this but i'm gonna need some help from i think that's the whole idea of be present because it's not just me being present alone in it it's you being present with me in it okay i think this because the the, you know to go back to the historical context the jews that saw the temple destroyed did it together they said they were in it together. And as a group, as groups, they chose to give up, go back, sit and wait, or be present. Like, they chose that in groups, not as individuals. And so, sure. and and so, like, that's why the story of Matthew is so powerful. It's speaking to a group of people. And so, for to be present is not just me being present alone in my change. It's, it's the invitation of you coming with me in the change. And vice versa. When the change is, when your temples are destroyed, I need to choose to be in that with you, to be present in that with you. So this idea of presence is a communal thing more than just an individual thing. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, I have been going through a little bit of some things that um, haven't been too fun, Mm -hmm. and I've reached out to... Uh, a few different friends, but one guy in particular, my friend Daniel, um, who he's just always right. He's <laughs> one of those. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> and he uh, <clears throat> he just said like there is something, and maybe it starts to sound like a lot like that idea of going back. But he did. He said uh, there's something in that uh, that old like kind of saying of like get back to your roots. And he was saying that our roots are a place where we find nourishment. Hmm. And um, when I go through hard times, I, I guess I do just naturally go back to places where I find nourishment. Like, I had uh, a couple beers with my brother last night, and it just felt so good to be in the presence of somebody that that I have known my whole life. So my question for you then is, are the roots to go back, is it to go back to a way of life or to go back to 
a people or to a person, to someone who gets you. Because last night was your brother. Yeah. It wasn't a ritual. Right. It wasn't a temple. It was um, someone who was willing to be with you. Mm-hmm. So is it about going back? And so maybe Daniel's partially right, but I want to I ask, is it about going back or is it about... Like, is it about finding the, the finding out how to be present? Because what did you go back to with your brother? Did you just go back to hang out with him? I think just to feel that acceptance. Um, to be reminded that I don't need to really do anything to have some love from somebody. Yeah. That, to me, sounds a lot like what I've needed in the midst of my change. Someone that is just present with me in it. And I like that. Yeah. Let's call our quits right there. Let's just let's wrap wrap her up. Unless you've got any last thing. I got something else. I'd like another pizza if you have it though. She's making another pizza. Um, let's, let's see what, let's see what we got around here. I'm probably going to go home. But, uh, uh, yeah. All right. Well, Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, that's all. Goodbye. <laughs>